Good morning, church. It is so good to gather together. Let's stand as we worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. Lift up your eyes and let's lift our voices together. Lift up your eyes to heaven, son. Stand now before the worthy one in his power and perfect love. Lift up your eyes to Christ the King. He is both man and majesty over Name above all of the 
But I do have a question, even as you're being seated, who can stop the Lord? 
Okay, so if no one can stop the Lord, should there be fear in your heart? No. I'll fear unto him and to him alone. If, if who can stop the Lord, no one can be. May our eyes be so fixed upon him that we could not be misled. Because we are following one and one only. Amen. And may our feet follow his feet. It is so good to be able to see you in this place today, especially if you are visiting with us today, if you're a guest with us, especially for a first time. We just want to say welcome. We pray that from the parking lot to the chair that you're sitting in, that you have felt that sense of welcome among us. Um, Hopefully, those that are sitting beside you have said hello. Have you said hello? I guess now you have. So that's good. Everyone has been said hello to. No, we want it to be more than simply a hello, but we really don't want you to feel like you are a part of this place today. We know that it is not a small thing to come into a place that you've never been in to before. And so we just say thank you for being here and just to help with that transition and just to introduce ourselves so you're not in the midst of people that you don't know. Hopefully you received this brown bag when you came in. If not, it will be available for you out in the info desk area. It really is just uh, some information for you so you can get to know us a little bit more. And so we would love for you to be able to, to grab that. It maybe prompt some new questions. It may answer some other questions that you already have inside of that. Also in the seat backs in front of you is a, a sheet that looks just like this. It says welcome at the top of that. And if you wouldn't mind, it would be our greatest honor if you would do this for us. If you would just fill that out, you can either do that digitally um, with that QR code in that top right-hand corner, or you can do it um, with a pen. And you can bring that down front if you would like to, because it could be a a way that we could just introduce ourselves. We would love to get to know your name and your face so we can introduce ours to you as well. Our pastors and our prayer partners will be down front at the end, and we sure would welcome you. If that's not um, able to happen this morning on because of your schedule, when you go out, you can just drop this off at the info desk, and that would be awesome as well. Hey, just before... Before we continue, just a few reminders this morning. Um, We were so excited about how many people signed up for um, Holy Week, Passion Week, that week before Easter. Um, We're going to be doing something really unique and different. We're really excited about it. We're going to be sending texts. Don't you want more texts in your life? These are good texts, though, all right? So it's going to be experiencing Passion Week in real time. So throughout the week, you're going to be experiencing just the simple things of what Jesus was doing all the way to the cross. I will just tell you right now, as we have prepared it all, and I'm so thankful for Aaron Barbie, who um, really did the lion's share of that work, that you might want to silence your phone if you're at work on Friday. Friday was a busy day. Thursday was kind of a busy day, too, in the life of Jesus before the cross. So you might want to silence the phone for that. But it will be a powerful moment of just taking those steps and following Jesus to the cross. And I think it will prepare our hearts like never before to celebrate Easter. And don't forget Good Friday, um, 6 o'clock, we'll be in this room um, celebrating and remembering. And the weight of that cross will be able to be experienced in that. And then, obviously, Easter Sunday morning. Morning will be an incredible um, worship time that we will be able to experience together. And we're just so thankful that you're here. 
Because we are here inside this place, yes, to be able to greet one another and see each other and and see friends and see family. But we are more here in this place to declare his worth. We are here this morning so we can see him clearly, hear his word, and respond with joyful obedience before him. So would you, would you just stand to your feet and let's just dedicate this time to him. Stand to your feet, Lord Jesus, we do come before you. And Lord, we stand um, before you. Lord, we want to know you, our hearts long for you. Lord, you've created us in such a way that that we will worship something and someone. And Lord, I thank you that you have perfectly formed our heart to worship you. And Lord, why you receive that from hands like mine and feet like mine and a heart like mine can only be because you have redeemed me from head to toe. That I would bring before you a holy sacrifice of praise, a holy sacrifice that I can't create or make, but Lord, I can give. So Lord, in these moments, may we stand knowing whose we are. Lord, we belong to no one except you. Lord, you, our heavenly father that have created us and within us, not improved us, but have created a new creation in us that can worship you and can serve you and can honor you. And I pray in these next moments, that's exactly what happens, that our hands would be lifted to you, holy hands unto you, and our heart would bow. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Lord Jesus paid the price so that we could be called his own church. I belong to Jesus. Sing it together. And I belong to Jesus, a blessed mystery, the vilest of all sins now forgiven and redeemed. Know the depths of darkness reach down
praise his name forevermore. Thank you. You may be seated. It is good to be back from literally the other side of the world. One hour of time change is nothing when you have 12 hours of jet lag. But I want to say thank you for praying for us as we went to Cambodia. And I want to say a couple things that the Holy Spirit, even this morning, just spoke to my heart and mind. You know, we can say Jesus loves the world, and it can sound generic, I think. But when you go literally on the other side of the world, and you see faces, and you're with other tribes and other nations, you know what? Jesus died not for a generic world. He died for a specific people. And the fact that I am one of those, by his grace, and you are one of those, by his grace, every person on this planet, Jesus knows individually. And guess what? We don't worship a generic God. There's one Lord and one Savior. There is a specific Savior, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus alone is saves and is worthy of our worship. So the perspective I've had, even singing these songs together with you this morning, my heart and my mind is overwhelmed with joy and love and thanksgiving for our great God. They're going to show some pictures. Just going to rotate through. The team uh, was with the Bobs. Vicki and Shannon, it was a wonderful week to be together with them. And um, they did a, such a great job. We did a VBS uh, at the village out there. And you can see the joy uh, of the faces of some of the people we were with. Look at those faces. And part of that VBS, they did a wonderful job teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of that VBS, we had 10 kids pray to receive Christ. And that was the Holy Spirit doing that. And I want to say thank you. Um, for our team for, for, for doing that and also to encourage them. We had a baptism as well that you're going to see in just a second. There you go. And the baptism was a big old jar like this. And it was hot, so the water probably felt good as she was baptized. But that was, you see, the, Vicki and Shannon have been there. And one of the things that Shannon told me was you just got to show up. So it is awesome that we can partner with them. They are there every day. Week after week, they've been there for now three years. First two years, they had no salvations. But they're planting seeds. They're getting to know these people. I want to tell a quick story of something that was unexpected that I didn't know until Thursday morning. They said, hey, we do a Bible study on Thursdays. And we'd love for you to speak. Okay. With a translator. So we go into a village. And you'll, I'm going to go ahead and put up this next picture. This is where, what the Bible study looked like. So there's a blue tarp. We're out in the village. And so, and I thought, well, they can't read. I can't tell them to turn to their Bible. So the Holy Spirit just really gave me a few things from the Word. He said, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God. And then also, it's not the Word of men. It's the Word of God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I said, that is Jesus then I went to John 14 and I said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only thing that I bring to you is my brokenness, my sinfulness, that Jesus has saved my soul and that he is the way to save your soul. 
Then we prayed. And then Shannon said, you know what? Why don't we do prayer requests? They went around the circle. And one of the ladies there asked that her husband would come to know Jesus. That was her prayer request. We all went through and we prayed. And when we said amen, unbeknownst to me, her husband was actually there. He was kind of behind the circle. And while we prayed, he literally made his way in the middle of that circle. And he said, I want to know Jesus. Yes. And that, wait on the next picture, I'll I'll tell you in just a second. And that night I read in the word, it says, how are they going to know unless someone speaks? Church, we are literally his mouthpiece. He died on the cross. He rose again. We are sinful people that are saved by grace. That's exactly what he does here. And that's exactly what he does on the other side of the world. Show the next picture. There he is. This is the joy. And it's also a wife that has come to know Jesus, that has been praying for her husband. And you can show the next picture. And there she is. And that's their family. I wanted to share that to say thank you for your investment, not only financially, your prayer support and your encouragement, but all glory to Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God, the righteousness of God is revealed for salvation. So, Titus. Amen. Hey, church, let's join our hearts together. Give the Lord a praise. I hope it encourages you to hear that while we were here praying each week for our Cambodian mission team, God was at work on the other side of the world through the power of his spirit and the work of his word in the lives of his people. And so it gives us joy to know that work didn't stop when this team left Cambodia. We're part of a great big work of a great big God. So let's make our prayer of thanksgiving this morning. Father, I thank you for Richard and the team that went to Cambodia to be a part of another team that has been serving in Cambodia now for three years. Father, all of which is a part of your work in Cambodia that began before any of us were ever born. That Jesus, by his grace, is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world with an eternal purpose that you are accomplishing in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged today and we say thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for using your people, even those that are in this room today, to travel around the world to the nations to be a part of Christ's great work among the nations. We thank you, Father, for the salvation of this man, the restoration of a family to you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue what you've begun in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, work in us today as we study your word. Fill us with faith and confidence knowing that the same God at work in Cambodia is at work right here in this room, in every heart today. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for preaching before I had a chance to preach, Richard. I do appreciate you taking the floor. Anyhow, so you're going to get two sermons because I'm not giving up what I've got started. Anyhow, so turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. What a great report. What a great report. Mark chapter 13. And church, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I need your help, okay? So can you give me a little bit of help this morning? I 
have, or at least I'm on the verge of having three teenage drivers in my home. And my insurance agents are awesome. They're doing their very best, but they are only humans. There's only so much that they can do. So I'd like to enlist all of you to help me by delivering an important message to my three teenage drivers. Here's here's my message to my kids. You must stop at all stop signs. These red, I got an amen from Warren. These red octagonal signs are there for your safety. That's the message. That's the mission. Should you choose to accept it, this message. No, that's another. Listen, Emily, I really do appreciate your help. Church has nothing to do with my sermon. I just, no, I'm kidding. Let me give you a quick pop quiz though. You see the message? You guys understand the message? You get it? Do you get it? I'll ask, do you get it till you say you do? Do you get it? Okay, here's a pop quiz. What's the point of the message? I'll give you four options. Is the point that octagons are better than triangles? Is the point that stop signs are closer to crimson red than candy apple red? Is the point stop at all stop signs? Is the point that the insurance industry is out of control and I would vote for a presidential candidate if he or she would actually make insurance great again? Is that the point? <laughs> Is that the point? Go ahead and say the point. What's the, what's the letter? What's the letter? C. C. The answer is always C, kids. Taking every test. Now, let me ask you this, all right? How pleased would I be if I came home this afternoon and learned that you and my kids had gotten in a fight with each other about the exact color of stop signs? Even more, how pleased would I be if my 17-year-old darling daughter decorated her room with stop signs because she became so obsessed with the signs, but she went out and got three, three tickets for running stop signs this week. How pleased would I be? The answer is I wouldn't be pleased at all. It would feel like you and my kids had totally missed the point of my message. You guys following my logic so far? All right, it's pretty simple, right? But before I move on, I want to give you a quick public service announcement in the form of a disclaimer. Here's the disclaimer. This illustration is for illustration purposes only. Please do not make my children regret being a pastor's child by harassing them about stop signs for the rest of their lives. It is not funny. They will not laugh. If you choose to make them miserable, you will become my next sermon illustration. My name name is Titus Green, and I endorse this message. Anyhow... Here's the whole point of the introduction. This next chapter in our study of Mark is a passage in which Jesus gives us a message about signs that will the passing of time as we approach his second coming. He also gives us important commands. Sadly, however, God's children often argue and fight about these prophecies and their signs rather than pay attention to his commands. Following my logic still? So we don't want to be that kind of church, do we? That means we have to be intentional about the way we work through Mark 13. And I know some of you are already disappointed. We're not going to argue about signs. So here's what we want to do this morning. We want to just Give some introduction to the signs that Jesus says will increase and intensify over time. By God's grace, we will focus our attention this morning on the corresponding commands that Jesus clearly gives us. That we don't need to argue about 
whether the signs are closer to crimson red than candy apple red or that octagons are better than triangles. We want to hear the command of Christ and walk out of this room believing and obeying Jesus. So with that in mind, let's dig into our next chapter of study. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Verse 1 says this, And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, You see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of God for us this morning, church. Well, here's what we see at the beginning of this text. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple where he's been teaching for the last chapter and a half. And one of the disciples points out how beautiful the temple was. It's hard for us to imagine, but this was a massive and visually stunning structure. It had large sections of the building and the complex overlaid in gold, not gold paint, actual gold overlaying a massive building. But Jesus says that whole huge structure is going to be destroyed and not one of those massive stones that made up the temple will be left standing on another. We know this from history. This is a reference to the destruction of the temple by the Romans in 70 AD. And while this is ancient history to to all of us, many conservative Bible scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark was written before the destruction of the temple. Here's what that means. The first followers of Jesus who heard these words in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 13... We're hearing everything in this chapter, including the prophecy about the destruction of the temple, as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. The disciples are hearing these as future prophecies. All of the prophecy we find in Mark 13 was future-oriented prophecy for the first hearers, the disciples, the early church. And so most of it 
all of it is news to them in some regard. In verse 3 then, Mark says that Jesus led the disciples outside of the city. He took a seat on the Mount of Olives that directly overlooks the temple complex. I've put a, a picture in for you to see where that vantage point is. You see that gold dome that's in the center? That's where the temple once stood. That's now the Dome of the Rock, which is an Islamic shrine that exists on the foundations or on the the site of the ancient temple. So that's no longer the temple. That's the the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic shrine there. Uh, You know why there's no temple there? Because it was destroyed, just like Jesus says. But that's the angle. That's the vantage point. Jesus and his disciples are looking out over this city They're looking out over that big temple complex. And as they look out where that Dome of the Rock is now, there was the great ancient wonder of the world, the temple of God in Jerusalem. And Peter and Andrew and James and John have been thinking about Jesus' prophecy as they've been making their way to this spot. So these two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John, come to Jesus and they ask him a question. Here's their question, Mark 13, 4. They say, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, when we read this in Mark, it sounds like they're just asking about the destruction of the temple. And they certainly are asking about the destruction of the temple. But when you go over to Matthew's account, he gives us more detail about what the full question was that they asked. Matthew 24 verse 3 says that their question was this, tell us when will these things be? will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. You see that? Matthew lets us know that they're asking about more than just the destruction of the temple. They want to know more about the end of the age. They want to know about the sign that Jesus will give the world, that he, the Messiah, has arrived. You see, these people know, and we've seen this through Mark, that Jesus is the Messiah that God had promised to send. They know that this Messiah had promised to usher in an eternal kingdom on this earth that would restore his people to a golden age that would last forever. They know Jesus is that particular Messiah with that particular prophesied plan. What they don't know yet is that Jesus will die, that he'll be raised, That he will ascend again to heaven before he establishes the fullness of God's kingdom on this earth. And so they naturally ask him a question that includes all of those things together because they don't know those are events that will be separated by thousands of years. So they're asking him one question. Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the end of your age? Envisioning that they'll all be wrapped together. Well, Jesus answers their question. He answers their question by giving them signs that lead up to both the destruction of the temple and the return of Jesus to this earth. I want you to look down with me to verses 24 through 27. Maybe it'll make sense here. Mark verse uh, 24 through 27 of, of chapter 13 says this. But in those days, after that tribulation... 
The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. In this passage, in this section of Mark 13, Jesus is clearly, I believe, talking about the return of Christ to this world. He says, after a time of great tribulation, unmistakable signs will occur and appear to the people of this world. Namely, Jesus himself will appear in the clouds in great power and glory and will gather all of his people to himself. We'll talk more about that next week, okay? So that's not for this morning. The reason I point that out is it lets us know that as we go through this chapter, we're studying a passage of scripture that covers a very long period of time in the history of this world. This is instruction for first century followers of Jesus who are still awaiting because they're the first audience to get it. They're the, they're the ones who are still awaiting the destruction of the temple. Something that in our vantage point happened nearly 2,000 years ago. At the same time, this is instruction for followers of Jesus after the destruction of the temple. People who aren't waiting for the temple to be destroyed. They're waiting for Jesus to return in fulfillment of the prophecy of verses 24 through 27. Do you know anyone who's waiting for the return of Jesus to this earth? Anybody? Anybody at all? Bueller? Bueller? That should be all of you, okay? That should be all of you. Here's what we're seeing, okay? Both events are couched in this text. And both events, the destruction of the temple and the return of Jesus, will be marked by similar signs. Jesus says in verse 8, actually, that these signs are like labor pangs. They're going to be present before the end, but like labor pangs, they will increase in frequency and intensity the nearer that we get to the end. And so with that in mind, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want to walk through just these first 13 verses, and I want us to look at the signs that Jesus gives, the signs that will be marking the times until Jesus comes again, that will increase in frequency and intensity before the end. And I also want us to focus on the commands that he tells us in light of those signs. We don't want to build a shrine in this room to stop signs And walk out the door and run by all the stop signs. We want to obey the commands of Christ in response to the signs of the times in his word. So let's go through the signs and commands of Jesus in this text. Starting with sign number one. Sign number one, he says, is deception. This world will descend into a period of deception in the hearts and minds of people. Mark 13, five through six says this, Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Stop right there. This sign of deception certainly had a first century component to it. We know this from history. Many false messiahs emerged through the years after Christ. They claimed to be saviors of God's people. And so this has been fulfilled in some regard in the first century. But also, 
Like the other signs, we know that as the approach of the return of Jesus gets nearer, there will be an increase in the frequency and intensity of deception that falls over this world. And church, is there any doubt that a spirit of deception is taking hold all over our world? I mean, there is a complete redefinition of the most basic human dynamics. From what constitutes a human life to what it means to be a man or a woman, many layers, almost every layer of culture and humanity is falling prey to the spirit of deception of our age. And even more directly related to what Jesus says, there is a spirit of deception that comes with it in the name of Jesus. You need to know that so-called Christian churches are increasingly denying the authority of the scripture and adopting the norms of our culture rather than the holy truth of Jesus Christ. From prosperity theology that teaches that it is God's will for everyone to be healthy and wealthy, they never add wise, but healthy and wealthy, to the emergence of of the social gospel in a new form that teaches that Jesus basically came to do nothing more than bring about political and social reform as though heaven can be experienced on this earth and people can be redeemed without repentance. There is a Greek word for all of that. It's called hogwash. You see, false versions of Christ's message are taking root all over our world. And ultimately, that progression of false teaching, even in the name of Christianity, even in the name of Jesus, will culminate with the emergence of an antichrist and his false prophet. That's what verses 21 through 23 are pointing to. Mark 13, 21 through 23 says this, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise. Now notice this phrase. And near the end, we see this in prophecy in other places, like the book of Revelation. And will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Those are those who redeemed and born again, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all these things Beforehand, Church, as we near the end of this age, the deception of false teachers will culminate with a false prophet who will be able to perform signs and wonders that would nearly lead you and me astray if it were not for the Holy Spirit's work and the grace of God through Jesus. What's the point? Though? What's the takeaway? Should we spend the next hour arguing or speculating about whether or not the Antichrist is for president this year? Some of us want to. There are people who will do similar things to that in this conversation. But we need to ask the question, what is Jesus telling us to do? And that's where we get Command number one says this, do not be led astray. Do not be led astray. Mark 13, 5, Jesus says this, and he began to teach them, and he started even before the signs with this command. See that no one leads you astray. Friends, Jesus doesn't warn us about false teachers so that we will grow cynical 
or afraid or pick fights with people online. And all of God's people said, amen. That's what I heard in my heart. I don't know if you really felt that. Then why does he warn us? If it's not so, we'll bicker and argue with each other and be obnoxious on the internet. Why? Well, he warns us about false teachers. He tells us so that we will diligently work for ourselves to not be led astray. How do we obey that command? How will we keep from being led astray by the false teaching of false teachers? Well, first, by knowing the truth through personal study. 1 Timothy 4.16 says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. That's a word for doctrine. I know we don't like that word in 21st century, but doctrine's a great word. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching, the doctrine. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will both save yourself and your hearers. Friends, the best way to identify false teaching is to pay close attention to the true teaching of the scriptures in the word of God. We don't look for false teachers as our life's goal by scouring the headlines. We guard our hearts from false teaching by looking to the Bible as the very word of God and studying it diligently, meditating over the power of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures by reading and getting in the word of God, the scriptures, the Holy Bible. This is one of the many great benefits to personal Bible study. It guards us against false teaching. We're to become intimately acquainted with the scriptures so that we can readily tell when some slick-haired televangelist is a fraud who's more interested in our money than our souls. Two of you are on board. Let's keep going, okay? (laughs) The question then becomes, do you know what you believe and why you believe the Bible? No truth. Through personal study, guard your heart from false teaching. The second, the Bible says, is that we not only know through personal study, but we pursue sound biblical teaching. It's not just the Lone Ranger version of Christianity. It's a culture, a community of believers growing and learning together. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He says people will fall fall prey to false teachers when something happens. Namely, he says here, when they actively pursue teachers who tell them what they want to hear rather than what the Bible plainly teaches. This is a word of warning for all of us. Let me just say it in this way. If you are looking for a church home, and I hope that most of you aren't looking for a church home because you're regulars around here, and I don't like the implications of that. But if you're looking for a church home, I want to encourage you, make your number one priority something other than style of music, than children's programming, than ministry organization. Name your number one priority. I pray it will be this. 
the sound preaching of the Bible as the word of God. Number one, doesn't matter how good the programming is. It doesn't matter how much you like the music. Your neighbor doesn't like it. That's just the truth. Beware, beware of teachers and pastors who teach like they're trying out for a gig on a late night talk show or attempting to be pop psychologists from behind a pulpit. Not saying it's wrong to be funny. I'm saying it's wrong for our pursuit to be funny and not faithful. Let's have a good time, church. Jesus died to give us joy. But let's make our greatest joy the truth of the word of God, not the whimsy of pastors like me. Beware of those who focus not on just fun or funny, but on things called practicality. Who give you seven ways to be a better parent, but don't preach the Bible. Look for preaching and teaching that walks through passages of scripture without ripping them out of context and twisting and distorting them that would plainly teach plain truths about the Bible. Listen, those faithful churches may not be the biggest churches in town. And as Jesus gets nearer to return, they may shrink rather than grow because a great falling away is coming. But those faithful churches that preach and teach the Bible, though they may not be the biggest or fastest growing, the Bible says they are pillars of the truth of Jesus Christ and are pleasing to almighty God. So may we be that kind of church because sound biblical teaching is one of the Holy Spirit empowered safeguards against the corruption and the deception of this age. That's sign number one. I'm 25 minutes in. We got three more to go. Let's hurry. They'll all be quicker than the first. Sign number two, global conflict. Mark 13, 7 through 8, he says, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Jesus says, The end of time will be marked by growing global conflict. Do I even need to speak about this? From Gaza to Ukraine to the civil wars in Sudan to the worsening relations between China and Taiwan to the deepening and growing conflict between the U.S. and Iran, our world is filled with increasing conflict. It's bad. It was bad when all of us showed up on planet Earth. It isn't getting better. And Jesus says this must take place and will take place throughout history even before, he says, the end actually arrives. And for the sake of time, let me just combine this sign with the next sign he mentions. Because that's how Mark writes it out. Verse 8, he tells us that natural disasters will be a sign. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Like, Like he said about those conflicts. Natural disasters will occur. And, and they will occur like birth pangs, he says. Maybe throughout the whole pregnancy, but in increasing frequency and intensity. In other words, Jesus is painting a picture of saying, the closer we get to the return of Christ, it will feel more and more like this world 
globally and naturally, socially and politically and naturally is falling apart. Can I get a witness? Hey, do you want to know why the world feels like it's falling apart? There you go. This week I read that between 1900 and 1969, there were six major earthquakes every 10 years. Recent data indicates there are major earthquakes every month now. And there are great earthquakes, greater than the major. And I don't know the differentiation between the great and the major. But great earthquakes occurring every single year on planet Earth. And Jesus says, listen, like contractions at the end of a pregnancy, conflict politically within governments and nations... And natural disasters will continue to escalate as time passes by. And he says, these are just signs of the beginning of the end. It's not the end itself. It's the beginning of the end. At some time, there's going to be, he says, a great tribulation that will include the conflict to end all conflict. And literally the end of the natural world as we know it. Again, I'm kicking all of that to next week. God, help me in the next seven days work on next week's sermon. It's going to be great. Verse verse 7, though, we went past, and it gives us a command in the midst of all of that chaos. Look at verse 7. Here's command number 2. And of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. You guys, the word translated alarmed means to be in a state of fear associated with surprise, to be startled. How, how are we doing now? Oh, you can hear me. I'm going to start all the way from the beginning because I think you missed a lot. And I, there's some good stuff there. You would have clapped harder at one point. I know I should have marked it. He says, the world will feel like it's falling apart because it is politically, socially, with in nations and within the natural world. It will feel like it's falling apart because it is. But here's the command. Don't be alarmed. Don't live in a state of fear associated with surprised. Like you're startled at it all. Guys, as our world descends into chaos, Jesus says, hey, listen, you don't need to be shocked and afraid. And there are a lot of people in our world who are living shocked and afraid. As a matter of fact, let me add this in. Most people on television or online or in social media or are running for office are working overtime to get you shocked and afraid. Do you know that? It's the way they grab power and ratings and attention. It's why the headlines have to escalate over one another. They shock you. They surprise you. They get you coming back. That's their plan. And Jesus says you don't have to live being shocked and afraid and surprised. Why? Because his plan incorporates the chaos and the conflict. Let me give you this illustration. Several years ago, I had laser eye surgery. And for various reasons, you have to stay awake throughout that surgery um, for lots of reasons. It's important for you during the surgery to lay awake and look straight ahead. Because when they're doing surgery with a laser, you guys from the balcony can't see this, but this and that are the difference between success and failure. 
Like looking straight ahead, looking over there, success, failure. Okay? So you have to look straight ahead during the whole surgery, which can be kind of intimidating when they're cutting your eye with a laser. So what do they do? They walk you step by step through everything that they'll be doing, everything that'll be going on around you. They tell you the noises and sounds you'll hear in the room. They tell you the sensations that you will feel in your eye. They will tell you everything so that you don't get startled and shocked and accidentally do something that could be harmful for you or for their insurance, which is good. It's good that they tell you that because having people cut your eye with a laser startles you if you're not expecting it. So there I lay on that table. I kept reminding myself of everything that they had told me. And here's what I kept saying as they're performing that surgery and I'm wide awake. I kept doing this. They said this would happen. It's all part of the plan. They said this would happen. It's all part of the plan. Every new sound, they said this would happen. It's all part of the plan. And as I lay there, I found it to be comforting to me to know what would happen and to know it was all part of the plan. And that's what Jesus is doing here for his followers. He's telling us, he says, in advance exactly what will happen. Now, he doesn't tell us all of the details. He tells us the details we need to know. And he does so so that we don't react to the issues of our world in a way that causes us to live in panic and shock and startled fear. He he tells us all these things so that when this crazy world feels like it's spiraling out of control, we won't be tempted to believe that God's plans are being derailed and spiraling out of control with it. Listen to me, friend. God's plan is doing just fine and is right on schedule. All these things are taking place around us just like he said. He said it would happen. It's all part of his plan. Nothing exemplifies this principle more than the cross of Jesus Christ. The darkest hour in this entire history, a moment of chaos and confusion that descended in darkness on the globe was the moment when it seemed like evil was defeating God himself when wicked men in this world crucified Jesus, the Son of God. But God had incorporated the chaos into his plan. And rather than being defeated at the cross, Jesus was bringing about a victory for all of God's people through his sacrifice for our sin. You know why? Because God is stronger than the chaos and craziness of this world. And he is sovereign over his plan and the events of this world and why it might feel like we are spiraling out of control. God's plan is doing just fine. He's right on schedule. A world that's fallen apart is in God's control. So what would it look like, church, if outside this room where you expect to hear things like this, You responded to the next crazy thing. And guys, I think it's probably going to be this afternoon because crazy stuff happens every day. And what if instead of being startled and shocked and afraid, 
You said this. Jesus said this would happen. It's all part of his plan. You know what? It is. And that brings us to the last sign. Sign number four is persecution. Jesus says in verse 9, Be on guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my sake. Well, listen, if you've been part of our Wednesday night Bible study, the book of Acts, you know from this last week that the early disciples who were hearing this very prophecy lived through what Jesus is describing here. They were beaten. They were brought before governing leaders for preaching the gospel of Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in that moment. This is a prophecy certainly that had a fulfillment in the first century. But that didn't stop not only the spread of the gospel, it didn't stop the spread of persecution. Like the other signs, persecution is a part not only of first century Christianity, but every century of Christianity. And Jesus says, like birth pangs, it will increase and intensify as we near the return of Jesus. And church, even now we see Christianity is under attack in every corner of the globe. The one name that is a lightning rod for almost every group of people is the name of Jesus. According to one organization that tracks global persecution, one in seven Christians worldwide are persecuted for their faith today. More than 365 million Christians live under high levels of persecution and discrimination. Nearly 5,000 Christians were martyred for their faith last year. Almost 15,000 churches were attacked or destroyed last year. And next week we will see that before the return of Jesus, a time of great tribulation, he says, will occur. That if God doesn't intervene would destroy all of humanity. And so what do we do? Well, that's the third command. The command number three, I'll join these two together, says, be on guard, but don't be anxious. Mark 13, 9 says, but be on your guard. That's how he starts this. And then in the middle of this sign, he says in verse 11, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever's given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. First, Jesus says, be on guard. That phrase, be on guard, means to be ready, to watch out for future dangers. Essentially, Jesus is saying this, get ready, church. It's going to get harder before it gets better. In other words, here's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to sweep away any utopian fantasies that somehow make us believe this world is going to improve before Jesus returns. He's keeping us from falling prey to the idea that there's someone else other than Jesus who could enter the world stage and improve this fallen world in sustainable, measurable ways that are like Jesus promises to do at the end. And that's, guys, that's a great word for us in an election year. It is delusional for us to think that any political candidate offers real or lasting hope for this nation or this world. 
And while there may be candidates that we feel strongly about or we can support, even vigorously, there is only one person who can cure what is wrong with our world, and his name is Jesus. And we cannot make the mistake of thinking anyone but Christ can offer hope that's real and lasting and eternal and ultimate. Other than Jesus, we will always and only be hurting and helpless and hopeless people. Now, that doesn't mean we should grow cynical or disengaged. I'll say it out loud so I don't have to send a thousand emails this week. I believe we should engage in elections by casting our votes for candidates who best represent our convictions as followers of Jesus. But at the same time, we cannot become confused In the middle of all the chaos of an election cycle, we can't become confused about who offers true and lasting hope for our world. And to know this, he isn't running for president this year because he's already our king. And his name is Jesus and he's seated on the throne and he's coming again soon. And on top of that, he says, be on guard. Be on guard. Watch out for the future dangers. Know it will get harder before it gets better. And there's no cure but Jesus. On top of that, he says that we shouldn't be anxious about what we'll need to say or do when persecution comes. Because there will be given to us everything we need by the power of the Holy Spirit. The the, the principle for us here is not that I should stop studying from notes And preaching from notes and just say whatever comes to my mind. I promise you don't want that. The principle here is that we don't prepare ourselves for persecution by living out of fear and anxiety for our future. The principle is that we prepare for persecution by living in daily dependence on Jesus, believing he will provide through his Holy Spirit exactly what we will need when we need it until Jesus comes again. And that's the last thing, and we'll close, that we see in our text. Verse 13, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The word endure there means to maintain a belief or course of action in the face of opposition. Here's what this is. It's a call to remain devoted to Jesus Christ no matter what. How? By continuing to trust in Him and Him alone as our Lord and Savior until He comes again. Jesus isn't saying we earn or can lose our salvation. He's calling us so that no matter how dark the days become, no matter how difficult the world gets, that we believe and consistently and always continuously believe that Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our Savior, meaning Jesus is in control and Jesus is coming to deliver us again. And that brings us to our big idea as we close this morning. Here's today's big idea. We will endure, church, deception, conflict, disaster, and persecution by continually trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
Church, our only hope as the days go by is Jesus. Our Lord is Jesus. Our Savior is Jesus. And the signs are all around us. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. Next week we're going to continue unpacking what Jesus says about the future of this world. But for this morning, I just want to encourage you. Look to Jesus, church. He's told us what we need to know. Namely, he's in control and is coming again to receive us to himself. That where he is, there we may be also. The world will grow dark. The sun is already setting. The world will be more difficult. You feel the resistance increasing already. And Jesus will come again. And save every man, woman, and child who trusts in him, including you. He's our blessed hope. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you right now, would you call on Jesus to save you? The reality of this word from Christ is that there is an end that is coming. A day when the time for deciding will be over. A day when the time for calling on Christ will have passed. And Lord, I pray that you'd work on our hearts right now. That every heart in this room would look to Jesus to trust in Christ and Christ alone. And if that's you, do not leave this place without calling on Jesus. Right now, call on Christ as your Lord and Savior. Trust in Him. Come at the close of this service. Talk to one of our pastors about your relationship with Christ. For those of you that would say that you're trusting in Jesus, think of His commands and what they mean for you today. Are you living in fear? Are you shocked? and surprised in a way that scares you, in a way that unsettles you, that robs you of joy and hope? Are you studying the Word of God so that you would be prepared to be guarded against false teaching? Are you living on guard against the lies of this world that would tell you there's hope in someone other than Jesus? And are you looking to Christ? you trusting in Christ. Father, we thank you for the word of Jesus. We thank you that as we look back, we see the prophecies of Christ have already begun to be fulfilled. We have reason to believe that everything that's yet to be fulfilled will occur because Jesus already has a track record of faithful promise keeping. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts today. Lord, strengthen our hearts to trust in Jesus in the midst of a dark and difficult age, a world that is spiraling out of control. Father, help us to look to Jesus and know that he is king and strong and sovereign and good and help us believe that he is coming again. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Church, would you join me in standing? Let's lift our voices in a final song of praise to Jesus.
Amen. And as we do go out this morning, may we go out a surrendered life unto him. We don't know what our week holds, but he does. And may we walk with him through this week so all honor and glory and praise will be his and his alone. Before we leave this morning, just a couple of reminders. Make sure that you sign up for that text for Passion Week. If you've not done that yet, you probably received an email that you can do it online as well. If not, you can just do it um, on the sign-up sheets at the info desk. Also, we have our deacons um, have the servant serving servants table there. If you're just willing at some point in the year being able to maybe give up a weekend and invest a weekend into the helping of our widows, um, yard work, and just different projects, please just let your um, availability be known there. And also our kids central table has an um, opportunity to serve there as well. So you can get more information there. Um, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. And we come before you and we, we walk out unafraid, not because of anything less than our fear is to you and you alone. It's not a fear that shrinks before you but a fear that is in awe of you, that all glory and all honor and all majesty is yours. It's a holy fear that, Lord, allows us to walk worthy of the calling that we've been called to. It allows us to walk in a way that's not looking over our shoulder, waiting to shrink back, but instead of walking strong and straight, Father, proclaiming your name in a way that blesses you. So, Lord, as we do leave this place, May it be lives that are worthy of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed.